Thank you, ladies. God is good. It's a good theme to work forward to and seeing his provision in the toughest of times. And um, I was looking for the official numbers. I heard a news report this week about our giving numbers for missions offerings through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Um, I was looking up the numbers to get them right, and I didn't track them down because I heard them, and I, <laughs> I didn't write, I, was, I think I was out jogging. I was telling somebody about my jogging earlier today. It's nice when you attempt to exercise, and you get out there, and you, you watch you know, these things detect that something's going on, and you huff and puff for 30 minutes, and you get back to your house, and you stop moving, and it says, that was a great walk. <laughs> that was free, by the way. Um, Anyway, uh, this, I'm a speedy one. That's what I am. Anyway, um, but when I was listening yesterday while I was jogging, which is why I probably didn't remember, I think they said in the past uh, year for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, it went over $200 million, which is an amazing number in the midst of a recession or whatever this thing is called. I don't know what this thing's called. Um, all I know is that there's a whole lot of inflation. I know that also the Annie Armstrong Easter offering collected $69 million. Both of those were record numbers for the SBC in, in interesting times in our convention. And so God is at work, and he is uh, raising up missionaries. When we give to our world missions offering, we're supporting, uh, and even in our regular tithes and offerings, our church tithes to the cooperative program. So we are supporting missions work around the world, and that keeps missionaries on the field. It's a pretty good thing. Pretty cool thing. So uh, be encouraged that it may seem like your gift is small, but when you put it together with the body of Christ, it's an amazing thing to see what God does. So be encouraged with that. And those, those gifts support things locally as well. We have missionaries that are supported locally along the way, all the way to the ends of the earth, and that's the command. Um, this morning, last Sunday, I started out in the Psalms, and this Sunday I'm actually going to do the same thing, not with quite as lengthy as Psalm. But one of the interesting things when you read about the same guy over and over and you learn the next part of the story, so to speak, and um, you know, each week you learn more and more things. And one of the things I was reminded of, I'm sure I've studied it before, but it's one of those things that you go back and you learn it again sometimes. I don't know that you've ever been there. Uh, there are different psalms that help the children of Israel at that point, but also us today, understand God's faithfulness to them. And Psalm 105 is one of those, and it spends a whole chunk of it talking about this guy, Joseph. So uh, let's turn to Psalm 105 to start out there. We will, the meat of our text today will be in Genesis 40, but we're going to begin in Psalm 105 and read seven verses out of the middle of that, and I invite you again to stand as we honor the God who gave us his word Psalm 105, verse 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the peoples set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Lord, you are good and you are faithful. Help us in these 
uh, stories and these uh, accounts to be reminded of your plan and your faithfulness. And may we give you the glory in that moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Now, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 40. Um, and I'll, you know, little secret, one of the reasons I pick shorter chunks is because sometimes I don't know how much of the longer chunk to read. Uh, but we come to Genesis chapter 40, and we see this character, Joseph. Last week, he was just doing his job. And the boss's wife thought he was cute. And he said no, and the boss threw him in jail because the boss's wife lied then. Now, does that sound fair? No. Has anything about Joseph's experience so far sounded fair? Well, let's recap. Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob had, at that point, ten other sons, and his mother, Rachel, sorry, Joseph's mother, Rachel, was Jacob's favorite wife. Think there was a little bit of tension in the house? If you have a favorite wife, why do you have more than one to start with? Anyway, um, we, we can go back and read about that. But that's one of the problems, I think, with that cultural practice of the time, is that you end up, again, playing favorites. Well, Joseph is born. He's the most loved of the sons, and we find that later. But then when his little brother is born, the most loved wife dies. Is that fair for Joseph? No, he grows up without his own mother. That's a injustice number one. He's the favored child, but his mother is gone. Secondly, He's a, as the chosen son, he gets to stay home and supervise things with dad. Dad's getting up in years. He doesn't want to make that long trek out to the wilderness to find his brothers. And so his brothers go out and they are herding the sheep in Shechem and Dotham. And, and, Dothan, and uh, Joseph has to go chase them down. And he's wearing his beautiful coat that signifies his place in the family. The problem is, again, he's uh, the youngest brother. Well, not the youngest, but the favored brother. His younger brother is younger than him. But the older brothers don't like it. So they sell him after threatening to kill him. Now, how's things going in your family today? Now, I, uh, might have, my brother might have thought about selling me at some point. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But, yeah, um, we, we see that... Joseph has the favor of the father, he's got things good, but he's obnoxious, as we've talked about, obnoxious teenager. He gets sold as a slave to some distant cousins who take him off to the auction block in Egypt. He is again sold as a slave. He ends up in the captain of the guard's house, the, the head general, the de de secretary of defense. He has responsibility. He's made it good in his situation. The favor keeps popping up, right? Good things keep happening. But then what happens? What we just discussed, what we just talked about. Potiphar, the, the general, the captain of the guard, ends up throwing him in jail because of his wife's lies. Did Joseph do anything wrong? No, if anything, he did everything right. So you see this guy who is in all accounts and all human, humanity picture, he is righteous. 
He is undeserving of the uh, punishment that he ends up enduring. Yeah, was he a little bratty to his brothers? Sure, but who needs to go to jail for that? Okay? Now, he's in jail. And because God was with him, he ends up being the chief prisoner. Well, who didn't dream for that job? Right? But the, prison, the head of the prison left everything in his hands. Now, prisons today are not places you want to be. They're not pleasant at all. And you know, see some of the toughest characters in society. You can imagine that this prison, even you know, 35, 3,800 years ago, how far back you want to take it, it wasn't a pleasant place to be. But Joseph ends up being the guy in charge. He gets, a, he gets uh, the, the favor of the prison guard so that that guy can just go take a nap. You know? That's kind of the picture you see when you see those old TV shows. You see the jailer sleeping, right? You know, and I, for some reason, I just had a picture of the Andy Griffith show and the, and the old drunk guy getting, hooking the keys, right? You know, <coughs> he just puts himself in jail when he knows he's had too much. Anyway... I'm not going to chase that rabbit. All right, so um, here we are now with Joseph in jail. Now, Pharaoh, Pharaoh is the all-powerful king of the day. Remember, the worldview that was held of the time was that Pharaoh was the next in line to be the sun god. There was a rank that was rolling. He was next in line. The authority that Pharaoh spoke with was that they believed the authority of the gods. Well, the cupbearer and the baker come into the picture here in chapter 40. Verse, uh, verse 1, chapter 40, I invite you to go there. Sometime after this, this is, doesn't even say how long it was, it just says sometime, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. He continued for some time in custody. Now, who are these two men? These are two very important people in Pharaoh's household. They're in charge of the food and the drinks. Now, the, the, you, you come, this, this character that is the cupbearer actually returns in other stories, not this guy, but this, this office. We see it with Nehemiah in particular, that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And God had favor on Nehemiah as a prisoner. It's a picture kind of what we see here. Nehemiah was a, was a, a slave. He was a eunuch in, in the, uh, the, temp, the, the palace of the king of Persia. And he found favor with the king because the Lord was with him. It's the same thing that happens here, though, with Joseph. The cupbearer here is the guy who tests all the drinks to make sure they're not poisoned. Do you think the king would trust that guy? I hope so. And then the baker, same kind of deal. He makes all the, the breads and stuff. He'd be my favorite guy. I like to eat that stuff. It shows, I know. But, you know, you see that the... The, these two men are very important, and somehow it doesn't say what they did, and there's no real picture of, uh, some people try to conjecture what happens here, what put them in jail, but he, they, they made Pharaoh mad at them. 
They end up in jail. And, um, yeah, so there they are. They're all three there. And you would say probably in the worst place they could possibly be in their world, they probably none, none of the three feel like they deserve to be there. Now, Joseph is their attendant. One night, verse 5, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. All right, now, um, this is just interesting because God does still speak through things like this, especially for those who need to hear the gospel. He'll, he'll proclaim that ahead of time. I've heard testimony of those things in, in third world countries and stuff like that. But the most important thing to realize here is that these dreams spoke truth. Sometimes I got some crazy dreams. Usually what happens in my dreams, and of course I've been here a long time now, but I end up mashing up these different churches I've worked in, and you guys end up being friends with people in previous churches, and then the buildings all kind of melt together. And then something happens on stage, and I am not prepared to take leadership, but they said you're in charge. And I'm not going to say I was unclothed at that moment, but usually it's that moment. And none of you guys seem to care. That's the kind of weird dream I have. Now, I've never found the meaning in that, except that I might have had too much caffeine late at night. With these dreams, it was... They were so, you, and generally I don't remember my dreams, thankfully, if they're that crazy, right? But usually I don't remember them at all. Here, we see these two men have these dreams, and they are troubling enough to them that they remember the, the finest of details about them. Verse 6, when Joseph came to him in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? Why are you sad? And they said to him, We have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Joseph had confidence that his God would bring clarity in the confusion. And so the voice of the Lord is what Joseph is listening for here. He knows who his God is. Even in the midst of all of these crazy pagan cultures he's in, the, he's in the middle of right now, he knows there's one true God. And he, he comes back to that over and over. And we see God's favor in that, but it never seems to work out the way we'd have, we would have written the script. Or what he would have done in his own story. But he trusts God to bring meaning to these men's dreams. Why? Because he had his own dreams a while back, and he saw them that they would be coming true. What were his dreams? His dreams were the reason he ended up getting sold. Because he told his brothers that they would bow to him. That didn't go over too well. And he ended up on the slave boat to Egypt. So, the slave truck to Egypt, I guess it would have been. So, the chief cupbearer, the right-hand man of the king, told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and, the vine there, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and, it, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. 
So, that's an interesting dream. He couldn't figure out what it meant. It troubled him. It doesn't seem too troubling as you look at the details of it, especially when we see next. All right, that's going to get it really interesting. But he says, uh, I don't understand what this means. Why is Pharaoh showing up in my dreams? Why do we have to worry about grapes here? Joseph says to him, verse 12, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand and as formerly when you were his cupbearer. You're going to get your job back. You're going to get out of jail. And this is probably just the best message in the world, and the baker's listening, right? He's like, it's going to be great. We're both going to get out. No, they're going to get out. Only remember me. So this is Joseph's plea, because he knows he's in jail unjustly. And he knows that this man will hold a position of influence with Pharaoh. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness, kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. Didn't give him the whole story, but you would imagine they might have some conversations about, well, well how'd you get in here? Right? How'd that come together? Now, we have all been in a place of desperation where we pray and ask God for something. And it may be a place of crisis. It may have been in a car accident or a place of, of real trouble or a or sick family member or you're afraid of something happening bad to your family. Maybe, maybe your bank account got hijacked or, or whatever. And you're asking God to help. And God at this moment comes through. God rescues this man from his trial. He releases him from prison. We will find out what's going to happen later on, uh, for him in a moment. When the chief baker in verse 16 saw that the, the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. I'm so excited. I'm going to get out of jail. Yeah, you are. There were, I also had a dream, there were three cake baskets on my head. I'll let you put that picture together in your mind. Are you there? They're probably stacked, I don't think they're side to side, unless you had a really big head, anyway, alright. And the uppermost, no, they're stacked. The uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. I can see why he'd be confused. <laughs> How do, what do I deal with that? And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And three days, <laughs> this, one's always, this verse has always made me laugh, and it's terrible that it makes me laugh. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you <laughs> and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. <laughs> Yeah, we think, it, it, we think about stuff like human rights today. Well, human rights is a very modern concept because I guess they didn't have social media in Egypt and they didn't have the picture of Pharaoh's baker getting the you know, stuff picked off of him, right? That would be such a con controversy today. And there are places in the world where maybe worse things do happen. 
<clears throat> but in the trials that we have faced, we have not yet suffered to the point of death. And this guy, not only is he hung, he is absolutely humiliated. He's left there to rot. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, in verse 20, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker amongst his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted it to him. Why? When you find out, you tell me. Why were they put in jail in the first place? Because they made the king angry. Why was one man rescued and restored and one man hung? We don't know. What we do know is that God understood the whole picture of what was going to happen and gave Joseph that interpretation. And he asked Joseph, or he asked the cupbearer for his favor. But what do we find out? Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph gets elevated to this place of authority in the prison, does something good, asks for something in return, and now he is once again forgotten. What had he done to go to jail in the first place? Nothing but the right thing. And yet, here he is suffering. And we're going to find out in the next verse, he stays another two years in jail. I don't know about you, but that seems like a long time to be stuck in prison. Now, there's a lot of things to pull out of this. One of the primary things we, we look at in the story of Joseph is God's sovereignty. What do I mean by that? His authority over all things. God understands the beginning to the end. And there will be, because of our sin, injustice in this world. And there will be things that happen to us that we don't deserve. Both good and bad. We will receive many blessings when we were expecting the roof to cave in. And we might have something terrible happen, and we wonder what in the world did we do to deserve it. And the fact is, is that we live in a world that is broken by sin. We are bound to that curse in this flesh. And for some reason, we see injustice happen to the good and, and to the bad alike. Rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, right? We see that suffering. We see that both of these men were punished. We see that uh, ultimately... The most important thing is that God's purpose is fulfilled. Now, I don't understand everything about the baker, what he did, and why he got hung, except that the king was displeased with him. And unfortunately, those kinds of things happen in our world. They still happen in our world. That's why we need a Savior. And when we come back to Jesus here, we see that there are some patterns that are fulfilled in our Savior. We see that there's a three thing going on. 
Well, three is a common number throughout the scriptures, and I'm, I'm not one for all numbers and signs and all those kinds of things that go along the way, but there is some significance, I think, to them anyway. What we see here is that you have three, uh, three guys, first of all. You got the Joseph, and you got the baker, and you got the cupbearer. You have three knights, and you have three different destinies going on. We see that the rescue comes after the third night. They, will, they are both brought before the king, and one suffers unjust punishment, and one is brought to life. And we see that the one who ultimately is the picture of our Messiah in this, the type of Christ that we look at here, Joseph, the prophetic look at him, what does he do? He continues to be in jail unjustly. He suffers, and he doesn't deserve it. We, have, we think about going through all of these trials in our lives, and we go, do I deserve this? Well, you may not deserve the exact consequence of whatever happened at that moment. But generally, what we have to realize is that sin breeds punishment. Sin breeds death. And yes, we are all sinners. And in this life, we have 100% uh, mortality rate. Everybody dies. But only one rose. Now it's our Savior. And He is the one that offers that new life. And, and by His resurrection, He brought forgiveness. You see, if Jesus had just died and never risen, we wouldn't have seen the power of the resurrection in our own lives. It would just be that he was this teacher that came along the way and taught us some cool things, and they killed him. Well, that happened more than once in history, guys. You know, somebody says good things, they go and kill them. Why? Because they didn't like what they had to say. Well, here we have one who suffers unjustly, but God's plan is yet to be fulfilled. And that's what we find with Joseph throughout this story is that he is the one who God plans to be the rescuer of his people. And to, to humble him, to prepare him for that moment of authority, to prepare him perhaps for a reuniting with his siblings. God allows these things to, to bring him to the feet of the throne of heaven. And he comes and he suffers. But he is ultimately remembered by the ones who bring him rescue. The remainder of the book of Genesis is primarily about Joseph. And we see what, how God works through him. And we're going to see some really cool things in the next chapter. Weird dreams again, right? And we, we think about this guy dreaming his dreams and we wonder... What is the purpose and reason for all of these things we endure? And so sometimes, yeah, God may give you a dream. I'm not saying that God won't speak to you that way, but today we have this. And if you have a dream, there's nothing wrong with, it, with dreaming, but it better line up to what the truth of the Word of God is. And that day, the dreams had to be fulfilled. Or else it was just one of those weird things where I was up on the stage and didn't know why. 
if these guys had just had the dreams and God had not given his interpretation to them through Joseph, then it would have just been another little moral tale. But instead, God was speaking to them and he shows through Joseph his knowledge, his sovereignty over all of eternity. You're going to go through hard things in your life if you have not already. You may be in the midst of something right now. The things that brought Joseph hope in this moment was the word of the Lord. And we might hear that word through different ways, but ultimately we need to judge it according to the Bible. That's one of the reasons I'm always encouraging you guys to be involved in Bible studies, to read your Bibles daily. That's why we work on memory verses, to learn how God is at work and how we can apply those things daily in our lives. And even when you get stuck in a rut in your Bible reading, you just start kind of just repeating the same thought over and over and you just skim over things. God wants to speak to you in those moments. Be intentional about it and maybe you need to change something about your heart and your attitude. I know I've had to do it for me even this week. I changed a couple of habits about my daily Bible reading and all of a sudden I was paying better attention. (laughs) Just tweaking things a little bit because we are ever-changing people. God is the unchanging God. He is always speaking truth into our lives. If you want to hear the word of the Lord speak, you need to first be in the word. And we see this picture fulfilled here. That's how you know prophecy is true, by the way, is that it happens. You might have somebody make this great grand statement, bold proclamation, And it ends up being, what's that Greek word? Hogwash or baloney. Because it never comes to truth. It never comes to pass. God has fulfilled His word in Christ and now He wants to live out that fulfillment through you and the Holy Spirit. Yes, He is returning. We know that. He has promised that. And we can rest in that promise because of the truth that we see through moments like this in the Scriptures, that what He said would happen did happen. And this brings us to the moment of expectation of Christ's return, because that is not yet something we have seen, but we have seen that fulfillment in the coming of the Holy Spirit. He promised the Spirit upon the church. It came at the day of Pentecost, and it's rested on the church ever since. And so when we see His His hand at work, we need to put it before His Word and then trust Him to make it happen. You might have had somebody, and I don't know what traditions you come out of, we don't typically do this kind of thing in our tradition, but somebody might have spoken a prophetic word over you at some point. And it may prove to be true, and it may have been true, but it better have lined up with what this word says. Because if it didn't, it came from somewhere else. So when we want to hear from God, let's cling to his word because he is faithful to fulfill it. What we saw here was that it may go either way or even a third. The cupbearer got restored to his position. The baker got hung on a tree and Joseph stayed in jail. But God was still in control. So you can dream your dreams, but let's see what the word of the Lord brings to pass in your heart and your life. The truth is, is that God loves you. 
And the ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. And the hope that we have has nothing to do with anything that we can do ourselves. These three men here were not at the will of anything they could control themselves. They were all at the mercies of those who were in authority over them and ultimately at the mercies of God. That's where we find ourselves today. His mercy upon us is shown to us by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He placed His punishment on on the one who had no reason to suffer that and endure that Himself. He paid the penalty and we rise because He is risen. Place your hope in the one who has brought fulfillment to history and prepares us now for his return. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. and Thank you for your great mercies. Sometimes it's hard to understand, to, to deal with the, um, the confusion, the trials that come before us. But God, help us learn to better trust you even when we're confused. Lord, I know that the cupbearer and the baker, we don't know what landed them in jail. We know how Joseph got there, and he wasn't put there justly. And we know that they, they suffered because of this. And we know that we had three different results in each of their lives. Help us, whatever we're going through, and whatever may happen, to trust you. To realize that you are still on your throne, that your mercies endure. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Help us to bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.